everybody. Welcome back to the Hughes Healing Podcast. It's Dr. Janae and Dr. Pam here with another mental health conversation. We hope that you are enjoying our episodes. We are on episode three of season two, and we have quite the topic for you today. But before we jump in, I wanted to check in with you, Pam. How you doing? How you feeling? You know, I'm feeling blessed and highly favored. All right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. Thank you. How you feel? I'm doing okay. I'm doing a little bit better this week. Um, Just surviving, thriving. That's the goal is thriving and just navigating these spaces, being black and non-black spaces and figuring out how to make that work. Right. Oh, say that one again. Say that part again. <laughs> and again and again. Wilder. The daily Wilder experience. The in the back. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> I think that's crazy that you even bring that up because that really kind of like takes us into that space of understanding like the different dualities of being black and how it is occupying different spaces with other people right Mm -hmm. and just looking at the differences we have within our community and then just taking us into these other places that we're not expected to be it -hmm. carries so much weight and significance there's like the internal stuff that happens as well as like everything else that we encounter and just trying to process all that So like that leads us right into today's topic. We're talking about just like the many dimensions of blackness. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, for example, I look at my friend group and I see like all kind of different intricacies. I see like so my my parents are from West Africa. Right. So I have a lot of first gen born here with parents are immigrants, African Mm -hmm. kids. Their dynamics are different. Right. And then I look at my African-American friends whether somebody from like the East Coast or somebody from West Coast or just the different ways in which they show up and show out and show their blackness, if you will, even that is different. So I always ask this question in these kind of conversations, like I want you to remember the first time you realized that you were black. You ask your friends that? You ask your clients that? Who you ask that? I ask a little bit of everybody if it fits. (laughs) (laughs) You just curious. You doing your your documentation. It's really crazy because when I ask the question, it's kind of like, what kind of question is this, right? Mm -hmm. But like, Loki, if you think about it and you think back to like just growing up and moving about life, you're like, oh, right? There's this Mm -hmm. one time that made it painfully clear or there's a time where it was like, Nah, I've always been lit. I've always known. Like, I'm good, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, But just understanding that in context of just growing up and um, embracing who you are and kind of like figuring out your identity, culturally yeah. and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so I pose you the question today. So I get the question. Okay. You get okay. it today. Uh, 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 uh. When so did when did first I first out? realize I was Black? There you go. Hmm. Um... I don't know if I have like a light bulb moment, like when you said, oh, it became painfully clear. I think that I had examples early on in life where I realized that being Black was a problem for other people or to other people. But Mm. I've always known I was Black. I've always identified as such. And if you know me, I mean, y'all have all seen me at this point. I'm what (laughs) people like to call high yellow. Don't call me high yellow. But, you know, I always get asked, what are you mixed with? What are you? Mm. And my answer is always black mm-hmm. and it's always been that. But I think that just comes from my upbringing. Cause if y'all think I'm yellow and you see my mama, you see my grandma, you see her mama, oh. you be like, wait a minute. Um, but <laughs> those women in my life 
always identified as black. They always instilled in me that I was black. It was something to be proud of. Um, I come from a family where we are light of light all the way to the darkest, most deep Mm -hmm. browns. So we have just a range of hues in my family. So I've always known and encompassed the lighter shades of blackness and never tried to align like, oh, I got did it in my family. I got did it in my blood. Like I've always just said, I'm black. Whatever else might be in the mix. I've never done no, um, what is it? 23 and me. No, I'm not. We're not doing all that because no. (laughs) Um, So I've always known I was black. I think I really started to walk in that understanding, that pride and that alignment. I always tell people this actually. So it's, I've actually answered this question, but it's just been asked in a different way. So I, I can vividly remember in first grade, my best friend was a white girl that lived on my street. Her name was Andrea. In second grade, my best friend was this Mexican girl in my class. Don't really remember her name, but I remember she was my best friend. And then in third grade, I had, that was my first black, I, I went to a black preschool online, but that was my first um, K through 12 black teacher. And a lot of us were black in the class. And so from third grade on, all my friends been black, my best friends, gang been black. Like, I just feel like in third grade, that was my awakening, my aha moment. So how old are you in third grade? Eight, seven? Yeah. So that's when I first realized I was black, but I've always known it. Um, I think it's important to know that early on. And so walk in that power early on in my family, both my mom's side and my dad's side did a great job of making sure that I knew I was black and I was proud to be black. Mm-hmm. That's what good. about you? That's your question. So it came from somewhere. When did you first oh, realize yeah. you were black? My, I mean, my road is a bit rocky. Yours was smooth and nice. <laughs> and uh, we just know, okay, we can't all just be like you. That's what Okay. <laughs> so for me, I think it wasn't necessarily when did I realize I was black? It was all the moments that I realized black means a whole bunch of different things because okay. it happens in like stair step, right? Mm-hmm. So like I said earlier, like I'm first generation. So my parents are both from West Africa, immigrated here, had me, cool beans, right? Okay. Grew up predominantly with my mom and my mom was very much, you pass this threshold we back in Africa, you are learning the culture, the customs. I speak the language. We eat mm-hmm. food. You know, that's what's going on in my household. But I lived in like a suburban area. <clears throat> so it was predominantly white. And then like the other colored people was like the Asian girl that was my best Not friend. Not the colors. The right, please, please tell them the right way. Because, you know, somebody's going to hear this and call people somebody color. They're going to get beat in the street. They're going to get beat in the street. Color. Okay, people of color. Don't be, don't be policing me. <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure don't nobody color. be like Dr. Pam said it and now I got hit up in my head and now they someone used to healing but that's a reminder the other girls people. that happen to be therapists <laughs> oh goodness the other people of color that surrounded my area um, was a Asian girl that lived across the street that was my ace boom boom I was always over there right and then mm-hmm. a Latino family down the way but they were like Latino from like the Argentinas and things like I don't you know what I mean like I'm not sure where exactly but I'm thinking like South America okay so but that was pretty much it mm-hmm. everybody else was just white right so it was a good time all right so I know I'm black because obviously I'm different than everybody else mm-hmm. then I don't know parents do parent things and some way somehow we ended up in the other side, right? Like the uh, hood adjacent areas 
of the state. You're not hooded, Jason. <laughs> because we wasn't really in the hood. But if I turned the wrong corner, if I came back after the wrong time, things was happening. <laughs> so Was there a candy lady? Was there a candy house? There was a candy stayed? lady. It was a fruit truck. You was in the hood. Okay. You were just in the hood with a little bit of sprinkles on top. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so it was like that. But then I would open my mouth or I would do something. And they like, huh? why you sound like a white girl? Mm-hmm. Why y'all, why your mama speak different? And I was like, oh, I'm black and foreign. I, I didn't know. I didn't know <laughs> what this is different. So I had to kind so of your white, your white and Asian and South American people didn't we were able to pick up <laughs> we was just all immigrants <laughs> y'all was the melting pot you were the right. vision of america right okay so we didn't know but then i get here and i'm like oh everybody looks like me it's lit i open up my mouth and they're like who are you who brought you here why your mama speaking with extra accents and yelling from the front door <laughs> what's going on you know what i mean and mm-hmm. i was just like oh oh this is a little different okay so, so you I were really, you you realized you were other amongst your own people or people that mm-hmm. share shades like you mm-hmm. that's a lot that it's is a bumpy. whole lot it's very bumpy so then we go through the okay which way am I supposed to act my parents bust me out to a different school so it's like I'm not even in the area going to the school mingling with the people so you only really see me on in the summer Mm-hmm. So in the summer, I'm trying to like fight for my life and figure out everything. <laughs> and Not you as a June bug. Girl. And it, so I think that's where the whole concept of code switching came in, right? Because there's mm-hmm. me on the summers in, in the hood is a little different than me in this white school on the other side of town that I got to get bus to. And then me at mm-hmm. home is my little after self, which is real different from the other two. So I'm just trying to like figure it out, right? Um, and I think it would be in those moments when I pick up the phone, I'm talking to my mom in our language and I'm like, what you said? And I'm like, oh, uh, my mom's West African and we speak this language and da-da-da. Oh, I thought you was regular black. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's regular black? What's regular black? Like, I thought black was just black. Why don't I qualify? Like, I I, I got a card. (laughs) I got a black card. What are you talking about? Um, so it was always kind of like, am I too African for this space or am I too Mm -hmm. black for that place? And am I too American and am I too this or that? And it's just like trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what exactly that means or what that looks like. So then it just kind of turned into me kind of, uh, figuring out my balance, if you will, bringing all the shades Mm -hmm. of myself. Yeah. And And I think, but that's. That's a that's a level of self-actualization. I think if we're if we're framing this from a mental health perspective, you know, black people are not a monolith. And that's the first issue. We have such different experiences because I've had experiences kind of similar to you where I've been in this space and I've opened my mouth and I've talked from my experience and where I'm from and who raised me and where they from and all those mm-hmm. things. And it's like, you don't now look you like you would talk like that. And I'm like, how am I supposed to talk? Like, and so they expected me to talk like somebody that was getting busted into a white school. And I was like, I don't, I don't talk like that. Um, and so we, we as black folks ourselves box ourselves in a lot of times. Cause you're talking mm-hmm. about the resistance you were met with came from, came from us. Yo, yes. your foreign quote unquote friends was like, Oh, Hey, we're all immigrants. We're all different. You know, mm-hmm. we're this melting pot. Right. But I think that is so important for us as black folks to remember that we all have these different experiences. We come from 
different places, whether that's socioeconomic base, that's regionally based, that's different countries. Um, and we bring all of these experiences and they make us us. And again, Black people are not a monolith, but a lot of times we set this expectation of what is Black and we make Black a performance. Uh, You're uh, only Black if you meet if these you, parts of the checklist. You don't check in all the boxes. And, we, and if you don't meet the checklist, you're not Black enough. Or if you supersede that checklist, you, you will look too Black. You, mm, you Okay, mm, you one of right. them. And I think we have to continuously check ourselves for that because it's, mm. it's rooted in a lot of racism and many other things, right? Obviously. And you talked about how you talked about how it in some ways called you at a point in time to code switch. Mm. You know, where did that come from? I think that came from just understanding that at certain moments, certain things were acceptable and, and certain things were taken a certain way, right? So like I think it first comes from being at school. Like the school I went to was a melting pot, but it was heavy on like Middle Eastern and Caucasian, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to understand where I kind of fit in in there, grades was always mm -hmm. banging, you know, uh, academics was fine, but we also have to have friends. <laughs> we also mm -hmm. have to like do things and mingle. And it's like, you fit, find yourself like, oh, I can't be too summertime Pam right here. Mm -hmm. Then y'all start clutching your pearls and acting weird. I can't be auntie Pam from the African store around the corner either. Cause you just don't understand the jokes. <laughs> um, so I'm just my suburban Pam at school. Cause that's what fits in here. But then mm -hmm. when I go home and it's summertime and we at the ice cream truck, if I'm talking to, talking like I talk to my friends at school, everybody's looking at me crazy. So I didn't yeah. have to be summertime Pam, right? So it, then mm -hmm. it just turned into, okay, it's all me, but these places fit in, these pieces fit in here. Yeah, you right? get these versions in these spaces because these are this is this is what's acceptable. So it's a part mm -hmm. of me, but you can't be your whole self or your mm -hmm. full self. And I think many people have that experience and not, that's not just the black experience. It's anything that's deemed as other. We often have to show pieces of ourselves or feel mm. like we have to show yeah. pieces of ourselves. And I think the implications for that from a mental health perspective is it's super damaging, right? Mm. Because you're reinforcing this belief or this notion that you and all the parts of you are not good enough, right? Mm. Yes, um, on. Only this is palatable and acceptable over here. So I'm only going to show this. I'm only going to, you know, unveil this part of me. Um, but over here, I'm going to be this person. And then it's the hypervigilance because you always mm -hmm. trying to figure out, okay, I got to be this version of Pam. I got to be suburban Pam over here, but I'm hood Pam here, but I'm African Pam here. And then you got to act a whole different way around your parents. Um, so you're what? you're doing all of these. <laughs> it's, it's you ain't even brought that part up. Girl, listen, it's a common joke amongst like I've noticed it more amongst like first generation or brought here when you're very young. It's like mm -hmm. when you when you have parent teacher night and uh, <laughs> parents got to come back <laughs> and come in. Oh, my son did this. My daughter did this. And hey, you know, and you're, you're doing all the things right because mm -hmm. your home Pam is very different from your school Pam. And yeah. your pockets of friends, you know the friends that you got to tell them, hey, hey, listen, um, if you see me with my parents on back to school night and I'm acting brand new, I am. Just don't say nothing. Just keep walking because they can't know we friends because I don't want to hear nothing. 
just don't talk to me. I love you though. I'm gonna see you on Tuesday. You know, because <laughs> you just like, I don't want to hear no smoke from them. And they're gonna be like, the little boy that was getting in trouble, that's your friend. These these are the friends y'all having. This is what y'all doing in school. Y'all playing. Eh? Instead of you to be reading your book. Please. Y'all playing. Please. Eh? Every time the teacher is saying this one, he's in trouble. And that's your friend. <laughs> you know, like and you're like, girl, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to, I'm really not trying to do this with you. <laughs> so it was always something to be like, okay, so which part's coming up? And then mm-hmm. you just get very, you get used to the song and dance, right? But then you enter mm-hmm. new areas and you don't know, like college. College was crazy for me, right? Because yeah. I'm trying to figure out, oh, what do I know? What do I not know? Then I figure out there's all these other history and and intricacies to Blackness that I never met and never understood yeah. or never knew, known, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm heavy deep in the Pan-African Studies department. You know what I mean? That's my minor. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. putting on, you know, trying to figure it up. And then I get home and then I'm talking about something. My mom's like, eh? Oh, that's good. You really like that black stuff, huh? Mm, that's good. <laughs> you gonna you gonna stop doing mom because that's what you're not gonna do in this episode, okay? But but that's really what's going on in my head. <laughs> no, and, and and I think even your your parents' perspective, it all comes from somewhere. It's all stemmed and rooted from somewhere. And regardless of where these things come from, the output is the mental discord that we find ourselves oh, in. Oh my god, yes. It's it like you said. It's this constant performance. It's this constant song and dance. It is excessive hypervigilance because mm-hmm. if this version of Pam sneaks out in this setting, now you're like, oh wait, 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 I got to turn. You know, it's oh, so oh, many things. Oh, it's yeah. You're always prepared. You always are thinking of what you're gonna say, and oh, they're gonna say that, and then I'm gonna respond this way, and then the conversation. Like you're, you can't just be. You can't be present Never. because you're so worried about what dimension of your blackness is acceptable is palatable is relatable mm-hmm. instead of just being and we talked about that in a season one episode about cut the code switching right mm-hmm. and we'll talk a little bit more about that because there's so much more to unpack mm-hmm. as it pertains to code switching and masking and why and how mm-hmm. it all pertains to our mm-hmm. emotional wellness but for today i want to talk about how there is so much anxiety that is built up that you carry with you and it becomes a part of your identity. Like you said, when you go to college, there's always this rediscovery, this unlearning Mm -hmm. and relearning in college because we're looking at the world from a different lens. We're able to make connections to see the, to see the historical significance of things. Mm -hmm. And we have less of a voice outside voice, right? We have less than, Oh, it's not a curriculum we have to follow. It's not our parents telling our parents telling us, for the most part, what exactly we have to do. And we actually mm-hmm. have a choice now. Right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's that piece of it that we're thinking for ourselves or making decisions. We are fully walking in our identity or our mm-hmm. multiple sets of identities. But I think it's also a lot of times our young adulthood and adolescent phases, whether we're in college or not, it's just that self-discovery and recognizing like all the stuff I've been told is wrong. I can't be this. I can't think this way. I can't act this way. And you start to realize that that pressure and those messages have been internally impacting you. Mm -hmm. And so now you're trying to push back against those feelings of anxiety, those feelings of not being enough, those feelings of not belonging. And, you know, what we've been kind of encountering or discussing throughout this is 
sometimes it's blatant racism. Sometimes it's blatant racism. Sometimes it is implicit bias. Um, Sometimes it's just perpetuating stereotypes, right? Very much so. But what a lot of folks don't recognize is extreme exposure to these things or a combination of them, that actually can cause PTSD-like symptoms. Because when we hear PTSD, what's the first thing you think about? War. Some type of mass shooting. Surviving the hood, if you will. Um. <laughs> we don't think about that first, but that is very much factual, right? Very much true. Um, and that that is a part of some layers of blackness. Mm-hmm. That is a part of the inner city black experience in a lot of ways. But very so whether true. it's that, but even the suburban black experience, there are PTSD like symptoms that we experience and we encounter. And because our view of PTSD is so limited to, like you said, war, combat. Um, and sometimes we may have a more expanded view, but we don't think about that. Or like a natural like, disaster, something something extreme, but it's like... Yes, catastrophic. Like, thank you, catastrophic. That is the word because if you think about it, it's almost minimized just being Black and alive as if all of these things didn't happen before that make it <laughs> a sport just to be Black and exist. Um mm-hmm. That even if you're just walking about minding your minding your day, someone wants to remind you that, hey, did you know you're black? Yeah, um, you don't fit here or I can't well, believe you made here? it here. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, if you think about it, the body almost goes into a uh, fight or flight and you're on yeah. edge and you're, mm-hmm. you're anxious, you're hypervigilant. And when we say all these words, of course, that leans into <laughs> mental health, right? Because with them, we're talking about, oh, some of this stuff is diagnosable <laughs> as yeah. much as it goes through. So we talked about it as far as like growing up in school and high school and all this stuff. But then to, depending on as we grow and we get into our career and whatever spaces that we um, exist in, whatever roles we play. And if there's less black people now, we're not only trying to understand and figure out what parts of ourselves to bring we're also faced with the structural racism or stuff, the microaggressions and all that. And we're trying to like come back and figure out while still trying to figure out within ourselves. Right. So if you take all of that ounces and ounces, layers and layers of triggers, of course we might develop a little PTSD just from existing and being black, depending on mm-hmm. what that looks like in our day to day. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think now you hit it on the head. Like it's not just something that we grow up as we're discovering our blackness and discovering all the beautiful parts of it. Right. And then also with that comes understanding the parts that everyone else says isn't beautiful. So you're mm-hmm. combating something that you are proud of that you mm-hmm. want to showcase. But if you're told mm-hmm. you can't. So there's always this conflict. Right. So there's so much mental discord that takes place in being black and there's nothing wrong with being black. It is the structures around that make it such a difficult lived experience to navigate. Mm -hmm. And so it's crucial that we spend time in reflection, understanding your question. Your question takes us to the starting point. When did you first realize you were black? Mm -hmm. Because when you first realize when you identified as black, you can then look at the trajectory and see like, okay, this is where I developed that pride. This is where I developed that disconnect. I'm black, but I'm not like them Mm -hmm. or I'm black, but I'm, you know, this is the only acceptable way to Mm -hmm. be black. Well, why, where did that come from? And once you start to understand that, you'll better understand your decisions, the actions that you make, the ways you interact with folks who aren't Black, what you tolerate, whether Mm -hmm. you're going to educate or Mm -hmm. make someone else, you know, teach and learn themselves. But also 
that piece about your mental health is what's critical. Like, wow, there's a lot of stuff that I've been carrying. Like, this is time for me to sit down and get that journal out. This is time for me to go hit that therapist up. This is time for me to, you know, I'm in therapy for grief and I've really navigated that grief well. But before we end therapy and, you know, I tell her that I'm good or tell him that I'm good. I want to talk about this. You know, I, I thought my mental health challenges that I came to talk about were resolved, but Dr. Janae and Dr. Pam Loki hit me with something that I hadn't thought about. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we focus on the multi-dimensions of blackness, we don't give a lot of space to recognize the ways in which we've allowed outside messages and outside structures to warp our opinion and our view of ourselves and our community mm-hmm. and our communities, because there are multiple ways to be black. Very, very true. Very, very true. And I think an understanding to take it a step further, how it affects our day to day. Right. Because mm-hmm. I, I understood it on a different level when when I, you know, moved out on my own, started my real real career outside of school. So I feel like school, education, higher up, whatever. As you're doing all of that, there's still a little handholding. You're still maybe you're still close to family, still in family around that. There's mm-hmm. still a community that you kind of like grow through. But when you're out here with your big girl job and you are out in the world, if you will, it's very different. Mm-hmm. And I remember my first few months or so, I'm just like, I'm not doing nothing extra, but why am I so exhausted? And I realized mm-hmm. like, there's no one that's pouring into that aspect of me. Like my cultural mm-hmm. piece, everybody's so far away. I have no community here. I have no one that looks like me. I have no one that looks like me at work. And it's just mm-hmm. like surrounded. And I feel myself constantly explaining and trying to manage how much of my personality I'm bringing and explaining the parts that people don't get and having to, you know, attend to everyone's feelings about who I am just simply because I know they all have feelings about who I am and they don't Mm -hmm. know who I am. Right. And then to get home and just be like, Oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. And that has nothing to do with the actual job that I'm doing (laughs) or the things that I'm learning, or it's just the experience, experiencing it as a black person Mm -hmm. and having no other black person there to be like, girl, I felt that too. Or Mm -hmm. did you see that? (laughs) You know, like, can you believe they said, "Mm." right. You know, to, to have your experiences validated, to have shared experiences or at least an understanding, like I said, I can't personally and directly relate to the experience of having immigrant parents or coming directly from Africa. But when you bring these situations up, I absolutely have cultural references. I know what Mm -hmm. you mean as much as I can, or I can hold that space for you to talk about this. Like, oh girl, like if my mama heard me saying and doing this and I'm laughing because I'm like, okay, like my non-African black mom would also respond in this way. And it may Mm -hmm. sound different, but the 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 basis is the same. And so you still have that visibility and understanding, right? Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are listening and resonate like, dang, like I haven't thought about it in this way, or I thought that I had resolved this matter, but I'm, I'm realizing that I haven't. Like your takeaways are to start with Dr. Pam's question. When did you first realize that you were black? What did that mean to you? And how did that inform the ways in which you navigated the world? What does that presently mean to you and how you mm-hmm. navigate spaces? And what burdens have you carried in those realizations and the ways in which you've been expected to or adapted to? Yeah, 
because that's a part, that's the part for the mental health call. You know, there is some reflection, whether that's with a therapist or on your own, there is some unlearning, some relearning that needs to take place for you to recognize that I am enough. All versions of myself are enough. And whatever ways in which you want to expose that in these respective spaces, then you do that. Um, Because when we bottle ourselves up or minimize ourselves to be palatable for somebody else, there is so much stress, anxiety, depression, a ton of things that set in. And so this is your call to be you, to be every version of you, um, because it's beautiful. It has a space and there is nothing wrong with being black. Um, So that is my challenge for anyone black that's listening. And Pam, I know you have some recommendations for our black audience and our non-black audience who wish to really learn, to really be an ally, to really support black folks in their personal and professional lives. So I'm going to turn it over to you because I know you have something really, really profound for our therapist recommendation. Yay! I'm super excited about this one. Um, I found this really cool resource. Uh, It's a book called The Pain We Carry, Healing from Complex PTSD for People of Color. And it's by Natalie Gutierrez. She's a LMFT, that's a marriage family therapist. And uh, the foreword was by Jennifer Mulan, and she's a PsyD. Um, They have a really creative look on, number one, just some groundworking groundbreaking work that they did that looks at just the phenomena of what is complex PTSD, especially when it's experienced by people of color. And then also just helping people understand what it is and give them almost a path to healing and and ways to kind of come to terms and understand better what weight it carries being a person of color and just existing in the world. Um, so it's a powerful tool. I definitely think people need to look it up and see, see what it's going to bless them with. And if it might be a blessing for the next person. Okay, good. So with the pain we carry, we'll link that in the notes and my therapist recommendation for the week can absolutely apply to today's topic, or it just can apply in general to stress, anxiety, just needing to recenter and reorient yourself to where you're at. So it's a grounding exercise. It is very simple. It's five, four, three, two, one. And I'll go over what each of those steps are, but it is just to bring you back to the present. So anytime any circumstance or any situation has you feeling a heightened level of stress, anxiety, hypervigilance, you're going to want to practice this. You can Google this and find images. um, But The grounding exercise is to identify five things that you can see around you. So wherever you are, you just identify five things in your periphery. Then you're going to identify four things that you can touch around you. Even if you physically can't touch them, but you're like, oh, I see this out in the distance. I could touch that because it's going to, um, it is going to initiate your senses and it's going to help bring you back to this space of centering. Then acknowledge three things that you can hear, any external sound. Um, whether that's outside of your building or your window or your room within your house, or again, if you see something that could make noise, like, okay, I see my phone um, and I could hear music. So even if you physically cannot hear sounds because you're in a quiet space, then it will be two things that you can smell. So if you're in your home, maybe it's a candle, an incense, coffee, your favorite meal, lunch, et cetera. And then one thing that you can taste, um, And that just activates your salivary glands. So again, five things that you could see, four things that you can touch, three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. 
And as you've walked your mind through that five, four, three, two, one exercise, the goal is that you are feeling more grounded than you were before you embarked on that quick exercise. I also love this because it's something that you can do in front of folks and no one knows what you're doing. So mm-hmm. you, you feel like you feel anxious, you feel heightened and you're like, OK, got to get it together. I got this presentation coming up or, you know, whatever the case is, you can do this and no one knows what's going on because it is you in your head figuring out how to better manage your emotional state. So if you have not practiced the grounding exercise, I'm going to challenge you to practice that the next time you are feeling like you need to bring yourself back down to a grounded place of being. Nice. We will have all of those resources linked in our notes. And then we have our listener letter for the day. So I will go ahead and do the honors. This listener letter is from Tracy and it says, I'm having a hard time saying no to people I love or feel obligated to, even when I want to, or I know that I need to. Any suggestions? Tracy. So I speak a little bit of Spanish, not too much. So I'm going to give you some advice from your homegirl in both English and Spanish. And here it goes. No, that's, that's what you do. You go on and you just tell them no. So if you want to do it in English or if you want to, you know, be in your little bilingual back, no. The answer is no. So that's what you got to do. You are ridiculous. No. You got to say no and you got to stand on that because no is a complete sentence. No don't need no explanation. And it's really hard, but that's the answer. It so you is can the be answer. Like, mm, no. It is the Because answer. loving someone, you can still say no to somebody that you love. Then being obligated to, what does that mean? That's a whole nother question, Tracy. I'm, I don't really know, but that's worth you exploring why you feel obligated to folks. Um, but if you cannot do something or you do not want to do something, then my suggestion is to say no and to practice that, to stand in that, to do it without an explanation so that you can take care of, so that you can take care of yourself. That is my advice to you, Tracy. And that is great advice. That is great advice. Miss Tracy, if you're not a big dog like Dr. Janae, like myself, <laughs> I'm a little chihuahua. It takes me a little bit to get my uh, my bark and my no right. <laughs> so progress. for me. But that's, that's progress, right? It is. You're working toward. It is. You're working toward the no, the Spanish no. Right. No. Right. I'm my I'm I'm definitely, you know that meme where it's like, um, so you come through tonight and he's like, mm, I gotta see. <laughs> like just say no. Mm, I gotta see. <laughs> I gotta see. Okay, sometimes we are conflict avoidant. Sometimes it just doesn't feel good to say no right away to a friend or a family member or whoever it may be. So I feel like we also have to call attention to understanding our own limitations, mm-hmm. right? And knowing the people that pull on our heartstrings a little bit more. And if you just have to say no to answering the phone because they, you know they're going to ask something that you're going to have to say no to, don't answer the phone. The no starts with don't answer the phone. That's a boundary. Okay. okay. Um, and setting up boundaries and, and different parameters so that your no can get a little stronger each and every time. Because we, sometimes we got to build. We can't come off top with no, no, we can't, you know what I mean? Sometimes we got to say, I got to see, knowing full well, <laughs> we're probably not going to do it, but at least the other person still feels, you know, acknowledged that we tried to see, even if we tried to see for two seconds and then it was a What no. about thank you for your request? No. That sounds very you're still... diplomatic. 
but the point was made. No. Okay. Okay. So Tracy. That might be a, that might be a middle ground. The only thing that I bring up, the reason I bring that up is because I feel like so many people, myself included, I was not okay. out the gate with my no and a period okay. at the end. Okay. So many people forever live in the I'm a C. I mm-hmm. don't know. Maybe. Mm-hmm. So how do you push yourself past that? Because I'm going to imply that Tracy is a very much, hmm, I don't know. I'm a C. And if that person is persistent enough and they don't stop and they keep asking and they keep calling because they don't care that you're not answering or they pull up to your front door, then you cave because you you set the tone to be like, I'm kind of down. Let me check out some stuff. True. True. And I think that goes back to the boundaries, right? Can't get my words straight. It goes back to the boundaries, right? Because that makes me call on Tracy to kind of look within and see what are you accepting and what are you not? Mm -hmm. What are you okay with and what are you not? So my no might have a comma. No, I can't do this, but I could possibly do this. Or okay. no, compromise. I wouldn't be able to do that. You're going to have to find somebody else. Or no, maybe later. <laughs> so maybe my, or my no, no has- I already explained that I was not right. willing to remind them. You set exactly. the boundary. They didn't you give it in. So remind them of the boundary and then say no. There you go. I like that one. So it's like a one, like two, three. That. Set a boundary. We're doing a lot boundary. of numbers. We did five, four, three, two, one. Now we're doing one, two, do ABC. Listen. ABC. 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 Okay. I'm, okay. It's going to be ABC. Set the boundary. Enforce the boundary. And then it's test day. I guess. Remind them I of know. the boundary. Yes. That's Set the boundary. That's the reinforcement, if you will. So that ABC then, girl. You didn't want to say ABC. I said one, two, three. I was right here with the one, two, three. It wasn't over no, the three. It was no three. It was no C. It was... <laughs> So what? y'all need to kick Dr. Today out out the comment. She just wants you to hit the Spanish or the English. No, no. Okay. But I'm gonna give you the one, two, three. Tracy, if you know how to say no in another in language, hit us up on Instagram because I, I want to know how to say French. no in every language. I can hmm? give you a little French. It's no. Okay. Okay. And our language is owl. Spell that. Why are you just gonna put me on the spot like that? Why would you do that? That's why I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the lexicon up. Man's. It'd be your own man's. Okay, that Dr. Pam is going to have that linked in the notes too. It will not be. Don't look for it, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, if you are listening and you know how to say no in another language that is not English, Spanish, or French, hit me up on Instagram at Houston Healing because <laughs> I want to know how to say no in all the languages because this is my season to no. Don't ask me for nothing. Find somebody else to do it. So I want to know all the ways to say no. I hope we answered your question, Tracy. <laughs> Thank you, you for sending it. You, you got, got a lot of options. <laughs> so that's our episode for this week. Thanks for tuning in and taking time to connect with us. But now it's time to do the work. And I know you got this. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and check out our free mental health resource guide that's linked in the notes. And leave us a review to tell us what you think and what you have to say about this topic, whether you figure out when's the first time you thought you were Black, and just to help others find our podcast as well. And we'll be doing a weekly call for listening letters so we can give you our views, points, and some little tea to come with some of your questions and hopefully to help. So just remember, we're your homegirls, not your therapists. And we'll see you next week.